Hello, I'm Rebecca Castellano, and this is Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to talking to artists on the fringes of the Canadian art scene. E.A. Douglas is a writer and artist currently living in Vancouver on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. Her work explores the intersection of creativity and mental health. Our conversation is recorded in Tikaranto on the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee, Huron-Wendat, Anishinaabe, and Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations. EA. Hi, Rebecca. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Do you want to tell everybody where you are right now? Oh, I'm in, uh, I'm in Vancouver. Very sunny and not as hot. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm sitting in my like 32 degree room right now in Toronto. Yeah, I heard that Toronto was a sauna. So do you want to describe your practice for listeners unfamiliar with, with all your work? Sure. So I am an artist and writer and the way my work has come out in the last couple of years has been through zines, both real life zine and a digital per zine that I try to send out every couple of months. All that work is under the title Strange and Mysterious Creatures because in my mind it all comes from the same place and goes to the same place. Mm-hmm. So my work tends to explore the intersection of creativity and mental health. How did you come to speaking about mental health through this writing and visual practice? Uh, well, I'm crazy. <laughs> and I mean that in the nicest, most lo- self-loving way possible. So I have major depressive disorder with psychotic features, mm-hmm. which at the best of times, it's like I am very high functioning and people are always like, I had no idea you were depressed. And then at the worst of times, I'm an inpatient and getting the support I need from the medical community. Yeah, so that's why I write about mental health, because it is my life. Yeah, as a person who does identify as mad crip in this new mental health ecosystem we're in, how did you find channeling that in a public way? Because I struggle with that so much, and and I like looking to your work to see a format for how to talk about it in a public and really poetic way. I think it's just kind of come naturally there's like that really basic writing quote by Ernest Hemingway being like write what you know Mm. and for me the thing that I feel I know the most is my experience with mental health like I feel like I can confidently talk about mental health because that's something I know whereas I would feel less confident in other areas Mm -hmm. and when did you start your writing practice well I've always kept a diary or a journal which is like a foundational part of writing the zines that I release it all comes out of my diary but the first strange and mysterious creature zine came out in 2017 12 months directly after I got out of the women's ward at Cambridge yeah 2017 is when it all started and what was the response to your work as you started putting out these zines I don't know 
know. I mean, I think that's like one of the beautiful things about zines is that sometimes people are like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then other times, like you just don't hear anything. Mm -hmm. So I've only written two of the full length versions. Yeah, so the first one, I remember someone said that it was zany. A couple months later, they came to the reading series that I was running. And they were like, oh, I read your zine. It was really zany. And I was so confused as to like what that meant. (laughs) But I was kind of like, so happy that someone had read my work that I didn't ask any follow-up questions. (laughs) I was just like, oh, thank you. I hope it was a compliment. And the second one was recently reviewed by Broken Pencil Magazine. And that review was glowing and made me cry within five seconds. So (laughs) that was nice. And how did you come into the zine community? Did you start out in Toronto? Uh, Actually, I have been reading I was in grade 11. Wow. It amuses me as someone who tries to write and tries to make art and has never gone to school for either, that for me, zines, they feel like home. The zine community will always feel like a belonging place to me. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in grade 11 under the stairs at my high school and like reading copies of Doris. And... It, it amuses me because, yeah, like, I was reading zines before I knew what a literary magazine was. <laughs> so it's very interesting to come from this place of lower class white community in rural Ontario. And zines were very much a part of the teenage culture there. Mm-hmm. And then to, to Toronto and find out that, like, oh, zines are actually super cool. What was your introduction to the zine scene in Toronto then? My connection to the zine community stems from my connection to my hometown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm from Lindsay, Ontario. Quite a few people who make zines are from Lindsay. One time I was at an Ottawa zine fair <laughs> and I ran into a person who had the Lindsay Water Tower tattooed on their thigh. Awesome. The water tower got pulled down when we were all in high school, so it was like a very, you had to, you know, grow up there to really understand that symbol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that, like, coming from Lindsay and then making a few friends in Toronto and then that kind of all connected together at some point. Mm -hmm. And how do you find the zine scene different in Vancouver, or is it different? To be honest, I'm pretty homebody. I say that moving to Vancouver has been the best thing to ever happen to me and that's because I've grown creatively and like I've become the healthiest version of myself here and a lot of that has been a lack of social obligations. Mm. I find it hard to really connect with people here which I've heard from a lot of people is just like kind of the norm of the west coast. Yeah. I've done one zine fair since moving which was the Zine Vancouver last fall. And that was run by Broken Pencil. And that was good. It was, you know, I made a few new friends. And seemingly the thing that I've noticed about the Vancouver zine scene is that nobody solely focuses on zines. Maybe that's possibly also the same for Toronto. And the other thing is that it does feel like here the word zine in comic is much more synonymous. And, like, maybe that's, again, me just reading into things. But mm-hmm. I remember I was talking to someone, and I was telling them that I made zines, and then they, like, began to tell me about all of these other comic artists. 
like there was like a moment of processing and I was like, oh no, I write a per zine. Like, yeah. Different type of zine. Like they're both zines, but like different type. And how would you define a per zine for, for listeners? A uh, per zine is a personal zine. And it is essentially like written stories instead of being like comics and visual. Mm-hmm. Some comics are also per zines because all of these things can overlap. Um, but yeah, so it's like a personal zine. Yeah, I mean, mine is always like very heavy on the words, and then I like to intermix a few collages to kind of break up the text and not have it just be like a novel. Yeah, do you want to talk about your collages a bit? So the concept is like a hagstone. And so a hagstone is this mythical lore from the British Isles. It's a rock that has a hole in it. And if you look through it, you can see fairies and you can see witches. It's like a viewfinder to like kind of clear yourself of curses and bad luck. And my grandmother, um, she's from London. She emigrated in the 40s, 50s. And she has a rock with a hole in it mm-hmm. on her bureau. Yeah, so that scene, Hagstones of Lake Ontario, is it like I understand why you associate it with less respect, uh-huh. but it was actually. Those were rocks that I found along Sunnyside Beach. It was because uh, at that time I was like making a lot of trips to Sunnyside Beach just as a place of restoration and calmness. That's actually where I did my first zine launch is at Sunnyside Beach. But yeah, it's just like a very beautiful and like calm green space that that summer I realized like no one really goes there in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So... So how did you put that zine together? Are those pictures that you took while you were around Lake Ontario? I have a habit of picking up rocks when I'm feeling emotional. It stems from being a grounding technique that I picked up in Inpatient where they would like let us hold ice cubes. I found that when I need a grounding technique and I'm in a bar, that ice cubes work really effectively. Just like holding an ice cube is like a way to ground oneself. And so... That kind of transformed into holding rocks when, if I'm upset and I'm, like, walking, I'll, I'll pick up a random rock. And because of this, I always have an abundance of stones on my desk or <laughs> in my pockets. <laughs> and so, yeah, so those rocks were, like, rocks that I had collected. And then I just took photos of them so I could return them to the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just through collaging and cut holes in the center and then manipulated the images usually using watercolor but I think there might have been some papers that have been printed with acrylic paint so you're old school you don't use photoshop or anything I do not know how to use any <laughs> adobe program it's like super funny that you bring this up because <laughs> two weeks ago I was talking to my partner about how I would want to learn how to do these things and then he was like, uh, you have literally never shown any interest in this. Like, where is this coming from? But yeah, I make all of my zines on Google Slides. My process is very process-oriented, and sometimes it'll take on a, like, oh, I want to do this final project. But for the most part, I'm just, like, messing about in my room or, like, wherever I'm at and enjoying that time of being able to, like, be present. Yeah, they're all handmade, so I make the collages with, like, X-Acto knife, glue stick, yada, 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 mm-hmm. and then I scan them, and then I put them into Google Slides, which is, like, <laughs> a free PowerPoint. 
point because it's like super easy to like manipulate images and like get it all sorted. Mm-hmm. And if anybody ever wants help making zines, you can just DM me and I will send you my two. I have like two standard Google slide projects that are like, if you fold it this way, it comes out looking like this. And if you fold it that like fold it that way, it'll look like this. So how did you come into this making practice not coming from an art school background? Uh, well, yeah, no, I definitely did not ever go to art school. Like, my family is makey in the way that, like, they make quilts and my grandmother knits. And for, like, when I was a kid, they used to can their own vegetables and stuff on their farm. But I think for me, making things is much more, like, a, a good way to spend your time. Or a pleasant way to spend my time than, like, goal-oriented. I did briefly consider applying to OCAD in like 2013 mm-hmm. but I ended up going back to school I went to George Brown to become an ECE because when you grow up without money the idea of going into debt for art school is yeah. just this it was like that would be literally stupid mm-hmm. and I, you know I have friends who have gone to art school and they've done the whole thing and they've been you know rather successful but I don't know if I would that or I don't know if it would be worth it yeah I think choosing to go into debt for something is like a huge choice like the only reason I could go to OCAD for my graduate studies was because of all the funding but undergrads they're expensive oh yeah I mean just the university system I mean we (laughs) I can go down that tangent if you want like (laughs) I have a very complex relationship with post-secondary education as a whole Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean realistically if you consider the fact that you know when you're in high school you have to go there and that is funded by the Ontario government and then you're coached by these adults who are paid by the Ontario government to take out a loan from the Ontario government Mm -hmm. to go to a school that you know may not guarantee anything yeah it does when when I step back from it, it seems like a kind of like a con, mm-hmm. um, especially a con on the people who like want something more significant than the community that they've been brought up in. Yeah, so you see post secondary as this kind of pay to play community almost. Yeah, no, it is. It's totally. I mean, it's totally an elitist. Like, if you have money, you'll be fine, and if you don't. I, I went to U of T for two years, and in that time, racked $26,000 of debt. When I dropped out, because it wasn't the right fit, and I was, like, 19, and I didn't want to do the thing that I had decided I was going to do when I was 16, because those years, you changed so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah when I dropped out, I it, like, it was only last year that I was able to finally pay off all that debt, mm-hmm. and now I'm, you know, 30. I'm like, cool, what am I doing with my life now? I think that post-secondary and that story that people are told that you need to, like, go to school to be successful. It's like all of the people who I know that are rather successful in the arts, they're bartenders, you know? Like, they are, they have, you know, you have your Joe job and then you do your thing on the side, but, like, very few of them were successful on the university or at the, like, post-secondary level. Do you surround yourself with people who did go to art school and, and are kind of in these more art gallery spaces or you're more in with the zine community and, and writing community? There's like this thing that happens where people are like, do you go to art school? It's 
literally happened to me like three weeks ago when I was riding the sea bus. Mm -hmm. Some guy like stopped to ask me about the camera that I was wearing. And then like his follow up question was like, oh, do you go to Emily Carr? And I was like, no. no. And this is a cool thing because people have been asking me if I go to OCAD for like the last decade. I just find that I guess it's these are just people that I am drawn to and Mm -hmm. I'm friends with. I think I like to live a creative life because it's inherently more interesting and more enjoyable mm-hmm. than an uncreative life. But yeah, I I think I, I don't know, I weighed somewhere in the middle. Like, I am of neither community, really. I don't really feel, like, you know, immersed in the writing community in Toronto, despite write, running a reading series. Mm-hmm. And neither did I feel, like, immersed in the visual art community, despite living with lots of people who went to OCAT, you yeah. know? This week's podcast recommendation is Better With Chocolate. Join hosts Kristen Dominique and Andre as they explore art, love, mental wellness, and black excellence. Check out episode 19, The Art of the Uprising, on Spotify, and follow the podcast on Instagram at Podcast. Since moving to Vancouver, it's more challenging because I don't really have any friends. Yeah, uh, it's, it's more challenging because I think, yeah, I'm still just out here doing my own thing. Yeah, I find making adult friendships is so hard and, and really only through school or work are you like forced to interact with other humans. So I find that's where a lot of my networks come from. Even working at coffee shops or bartending, I meet a lot of other artists. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I work as a nanny so I don't make really make friends that way mm-hmm. uh, maybe one but yeah it is definitely as an adult it's challenging it's also you know I uh, I'm a mad person like mm-hmm. like identified mentally ill person like I have to go to bed early in order to like take care of myself sometimes and I struggle with interacting with people if I'm overstimulated and So there's just like those other qualities that make it challenging to, to kind of really find a community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's like a a lifelong struggle to surround yourself with, with good people and it's ongoing. Okay. And the other thing is that like our relationships can evolve and change. Some people might be good for us sometimes and then not good for us other times. Yeah. I wanted to ask actually about your Polaroids. From our conversations, we haven't talked about it as part of your art practice, but that was kind of the first thing that I noticed from you on Instagram, like all of your travels documented by these really intimate Polaroid pictures. Oh, yeah. So they're actually Instax. I cannot afford sorry. Yeah. Uh, I shoot Instax because it's like half the price. Yeah, I, I did actually, I do have a zine finished. I've just never printed it because... It's like I, I would really love to do photo zines mm-hmm. of the effects because they're just beautiful. And if I was like to fully go into visual art, I would totally go for lens-based media. But those zines never 
they were never fully made because COVID hit. So I've been shooting them since 2017, I think is when I got my first instant camera. And I took photography in high school and like I've always loved photography. I've always dated photographers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I got a, a Impulse bought a very expensive Instax camera. Last year, I realized that it was just like sitting in my closet and I was never using it. And I felt kind of like, oh, I don't like that I spent $300 on this camera and I don't use it. So I made myself start using it. And that's when I was like, oh, I'm just going to delete all of my content from Instagram and just re redo it all by posting the Instax pictures. And so that's what I've been doing. And then this February, maybe it was January 2020, I was on Craigslist in Vancouver looking for Instax film because sometimes I'll like find like someone bought a bunch of it for like a party or wedding or whatever mm. and get all these extra boxes and they don't want them anymore so they'll sell it for much cheaper sick yeah <laughs> craigslist it's a <laughs> good place to get stuff uh but i came across this guy who was selling a lomo instant square yeah so lomography is like a toy camera maker that was like really popular for like 2014 mm -hmm. they were like, the holga cameras they like plastic toy cameras. Like the whole thing is that they have an aesthetic involving light leaks and like film. Mm -hmm. So Lomography did a Kickstarter campaign where they were like, if you help us fund this project, we will make a Lomography camera that uses instant film. And so the cool thing about that camera, which was also an absurd, absurd amount of money, uh, even bombing it off Craigslist, um, is that it has a tripod mount, self-timer, as well as a remote control. And a lot of my creative practice involves self-portraits. Mm -hmm. So being able to do that with the instant camera was just like a game changer. Usually if I'm posting these days, then they're shot with the Lomo Instant Square. How did you come up with the title of your perzine, Strange and Mysterious Creatures? Yeah, it's just uh, this joke that I made to someone. It might have happened at first time in, in Impatient, it's just like me, whenever I'm talking about how weird people are, I'm like, oh, we're like such strange and mysterious creatures. Because, like, you know, definitely living on Ward, you like have some interactions with people that you're kind of like, well, this is a wild time. Like, I didn't see this happening. But, uh, cool. Like, it's, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just odd, strange. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a moniker for, for who you are or how you're processing the world? I think, yeah, for how, definitely how I, how, how I view the world. The first thing that I wrote is about getting sober and then developing a creative practice. And the second scene is about sex, like surviving sexual assault and like why I stayed with my abusive boyfriend for so long. In the terms of those two contexts, it's definitely like the lens that I am viewing the world through. Do you feel like you're processing trauma with these zines because you cover such heavy and, and personal subjects? I think I'm always processing trauma. Mm. I think anyone who is in a marginalized group is always processing trauma at some point. You know, I had an interaction yesterday morning before 8 a.m. that was incredibly triggering. Oh, no. And, I mean, it's, you know, mm -hmm. fine. Like, it was a rough night, but it's fine. Yeah. I got through but it's just interesting 
when we're interacting with people, we don't know what they're processing at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I think everything is kind of processing trauma. And yes, I definitely think that my work is about processing trauma. And I try, I think it's really important on that note to include content warnings yeah. on the thing you're doing because you don't want to accidentally trigger someone. And how do you format your content warnings? Because this has been something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially with so much police violence going on. Just like the need for trigger warnings. I think it's like the first page of it. I just like kind of acknowledge what the zine is about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like words that make sense to me. And then I hope that that makes sense. I, it's funny though, because I did a zine swap with someone and they had some like not great things to say about my work, which I took way too personally, which is also fun. Mm-hmm. But one of the comments that they made was that they thought it was amusing that I had used the word, like, I, I think I had said, like, dealing with sobriety mm-hmm. at, like in my content warning and that, like, like being sober wasn't something that could, like, trigger people. And I was like, okay, well, I know that when I'm struggling with my sobriety, hearing about other people struggling with their sobriety is not great for me. So yeah, I definitely, I think that we're all trying our best and we can all do better and that when you're writing a trigger warning you just need to like or content warning you have to think about what might upset people Mm -hmm. or not but like impact people and when you're running reading circles or, or writing circles how do you deal with topics like that or is that something that you've tackled in these in person writing gatherings you know what I've never I don't think it ever came up in a writing group that I organized, but mm-hmm. it definitely happened with the reading series that I ran with Nick McKinley, The Sophisticated Boom Boom. We had it come up a couple times because uh, the way the reading series ran was that we'd have a feature reader and then the rest of it was an open mic and people could read whatever they wanted uh, as long as it was under five minutes. Mm-hmm. And there were like a few other rules. And But one of the things is that we never told people specifically that they had to put content warnings. And uh, in retrospect, I think maybe we should have. Because I remember there was like a few nights where people explicitly, there were a few reading or a few times where people were reading things about eating disorders. And after the night had concluded, my like Facebook inbox would be filled the next day with like people who had been impacted. In the past, I don't know if I've always done a great job asking people to put content warnings on it are on their work. I think it's definitely something that that I as an artist take into my practice. If I am viewing my work as processing trauma, then I have to acknowledge that like that might impact others. So your practice, the way you're describing it since moving to Vancouver, it's been really solitary. How has that been during quarantine? <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> I am an introvert. And I got locked down for 10 days. I got, like, a little bit sick. Mm-hmm. And I, when they opened up to testing to everybody in BC, so I went and got tested, and my test came back negative. But I still got locked down because I had symptoms. So I couldn't leave my room for 10 days, and I was perfectly content. <laughs> I, I think I, like, would go out to the kitchen to, like, grab takeout. But for the most part, yeah, I just like being alone. One of the things that I've learned in the last couple of weeks is that I need to like push myself to engage with my community more because it is a privilege to be able to to isolate myself in this way and to take that space 
and never leave my room. Mm -hmm. So I've really been like trying to do better on making connections and also supporting other people. Yeah. And what communities are you looking towards for support and to maybe get more involved in? I don't know if there's anything specific. Mm -hmm. I do know that like, Definitely the way that I connect the most with community at this time is through Instagram. And so a lot of my Instagram feed is still very much just people that I was friends with in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And so there's been like a an active attempt on my part to like search out artists in Vancouver and, you know, follow them and kind of engage more with the art scene here. Yeah, right now I'm working on a zine. This is I'm excited about it because it's a zine not about my life and not about uh, and mental health. It's very much a, my first experiment with researching and uh, bringing together material from outside sources. So it's a, a collaborative zine that I'm making with my friend Rio. Yeah, it's about Niagara Falls. It's uh, it's about people who went over Niagara Falls intentionally like not the suicides like um people went over in barrels or like on various crafts Rio's a designer so we're gonna collaborate and this will be his first scene which is exciting for me Rio and I were just hanging out one day and he told me that as a child he had gone to Niagara Falls and I just thought that was really interesting because yeah he grew up in Nanaimo and we had just like made a joke about we would just like uh Sure, let's make a zine about Niagara Falls. And then I kind of got into it and, like, went down this rabbit hole. And now I'm, like, very excited by the material that I'm finding. <laughs> and it's also just, like, interesting to work on something that is not about me. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's not. In some ways, I'm, like, I feel like I shouldn't be writing other people's stories. But in other ways, I'm, like, well, it's, you know, I'm just collating information from newspapers from 1930. So... So you are doing then, a, a lot of collaborative work already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like collaboration. The thing I like about collaboration is that I feel like ideas always go further in oh. a way that you don't, and you know, you can be easily surprised. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think it's like, I'm collaborating with Rio, but Rio is also my only friend in Vancouver. <laughs> so I don't know. Collaboration is not the problem. It's like the community aspect that, I'm currently struggling with there was I had an idea earlier this year to like start a Vancouver zine collective mm-hmm. and try to make a like tangible place for people to meet but then the pandemic hit <laughs> and it's kind of hard to like start community initiatives at this time right yeah. like it's really challenging to like bring people together when we're not supposed to be bringing together. But I do think community is a foundational part of both mental health and creativity. Thanks for listening to Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to the fringes of the Canadian art scene. If you have an artist you would like to hear interviewed, would like to correct slash fact check a past episode, or want to chat, feel free to message me on Instagram at hoppingthefence or by email at Rebecca 
ecasolino at gmail.com. Thanks to OCAD University for their financial support. My project supervisor, Amish Morell, for his advice and guidance. And Claudia Slogar-Rick for all of her extra help. Original artwork for Hopping the Fence by Alex Gregory. And original music by Jessica Price-Eisner. Thanks for listening.